Shabbat Shalom. There's, of everything that happened in this past week, there's one thing that slipped under the radar of most people, I think, and that is the release of the newest streaming reboot of a beloved TV show. It's called That 90s Show. It's coming out soon, and it's a sequel to That 70s Show. Promise the references will get less specific as we go. But it's, it's a show where the teens from the show that came out 20 years ago are now the parents of a new generation. And in, in doing this, it's one of a number of reboots that have come out recently. There's a new Saved by the Bell, there's a new Boy Meets World, uh, there's a new Harry Potter, where Harry Potter is the dad and his kids are the new, like, young wizards. All of this is doing more, I think, than trying to cash in on nostalgia. I think that these shows are helping a generation, my generation, raised by the sitcoms, learn how to be parents. Corey Matthews showed me how to navigate being a good person in the cruel world of middle school, and now he's helping me be a good dad. We learn something about legacy while we watch Wednesday Adams deal with living in the shadow of her mother Morticia, or the actions of the supposedly mature new Saved by the Bell cast, or I haven't hit the right age references in this generation. Think of the ultimate legacy transition in the greatest father-son dynamic in cinematic history, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Or you could look in the Torah and the Haftorah. Because just as Darth Vader passes on his legacy to Luke, in our Torah, Jacob blesses and charges his sons. David, in our Haftorah, gives his wisdom and tasks to his son Solomon. We will treat each of these stories, but all three share something in common. Common threads and themes. The greatness of these fathers in word and deed and spirit, and each of the sons of these three great fathers themselves destined for greatness must, in the course of their lives, come to terms with the legacy of their parents. And when I say legacy of parents, I don't specifically mean necessarily blood relations. I mean all kinds of parents and elders, all those who care about what happens to the next generation, the passing of legacy from one generation to another. Now the Mishnah tells us that a parent transmits to their child handsomeness, strength, wealth, wisdom, and years. A tall order to be sure. And in the case of most of our great patriarchs, we have to assume that they're passing on greatness in all of these categories. Indeed, Joseph, Judah, Solomon, or Luke could have uttered the force is strong in this family. Yet the transmission of greatness from parent to child is not often easy. British playwright Ben Johnson warns us that the greatness of name in the father oft times overwhelms the son. 
They stand too near to one another. The shadow kills the growth so much that we see the grandchild come more and oftener to be the heir of the first. I think what he's saying is what we see in our patriarchs. Avraham's greatness might have been what overshadows Yitzchak, whom we hear relatively little about in the Torah. But Avraham's greatness we see renewed again in his grandson Jacob, who certainly claims his grandfather's mantle. What the parent wants above all else for their child, success in a life well lived, can sometimes be derailed by the greatness of the parent and the shadow it casts along that child's future. Whether the baton is passed with intention or not, there are different ways of transmitting a legacy to the next generation. So take the example of Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. Vader passes on his power and his weakness to his son, his strength in the force and his pull to the dark side. Vader wants his son to follow in his greatness and essentially passes on the same critical decision between light and dark that he himself had to make. We're left only to hope that Luke makes a better decision with the same power. In this, we see the passing on of both power and weakness in equal measure without much of an apparatus to decide between the two. King David, on the other hand, seems to not want to leave any decisions, any <clears throat> decision-making for his son Solomon. In the Haftor that we read, he tells his son to keep the Lord's laws and walk in God's ways and be strong, be a man. And David is certainly giving Solomon a compass to guide his actions and ex exhortations to follow the teachings of Moses. Yet, David goes even further than this. He gives Solomon a list of the personal enemies he has yet to murder and tells his son to not let their white heads go down to Sheol in peace. David is essentially trying to use Solomon as a direct extension of his own life. Unlike Vader or Jacob, as we'll see in a moment, David seems less interested in his son finding his own path and more interested in him continuing David's own work and vendettas. The exact opposite of using one's son as a direct extension of oneself is told in a story in the Mishnah about Akavya ben Machalel, who upon his deathbed told his son that he could no longer rely on Akavya's teachings. And when his son asked him to be recommended to the rabbinic circle, he refused. So this is a great rabbi on his deathbed says, oh, by the way, you can no longer quote me in any of your teachings and I'm not writing you a letter of recommendation to get into JTS. And when his son says, why? Akavya says, your own deeds will draw you near to the rabbis, or your own deeds will drive you from them. So we have seen three different methods of passing on a legacy. Vader saying, here's power, now you make the choice. David saying, Here's power, now you make my choices. And Akavya saying, I'm giving you no power, you have to create your own. And now we enter the story of Jacob. Jacob has all the potential for any of these models. He has, he's had a tricky life, and he could easily pass on those same conflicts to his sons. In co some cases, he seems to do so with the favoritism. 
he could also tell them to live exactly as he lived and carry on his project. Or he could leave things entirely up to them. I think that one of the defining moments in this story comes at the beginning of the Parsha when Joseph brings his own children to his father Jacob to be blessed. We're told that Jacob's eyes had become dim, that he could no longer see. I imagine in this moment, Jacob, much like a character from a 90s sitcom being rebooted, finds himself in a situation familiar, but in a different role. As Jacob is sitting here, no longer able to see, I imagine him realizing that he is now exactly in the same position as his father was when he tricked him for his brother's birthright. I think we all have these moments, maybe not as profound as Jacob's, when we realize that we are in the same position as our parents, when we realize that we have so much of them inside of us, or when we hear ourselves using their exact words to admonish our own children. The moment brings with it for us and for Jacob a feeling of connection and hopefully a feeling of compassion for those who've come before us and those yet to follow. And whether Jacob feels this or not, he seems to try and break the cycle of sibling violence and strife that has marked the Abrahamic family up to this point. Indeed, his blessing seems in many ways to be about togetherness. One of our Hasidic commentaries on this points out that his entire blessing to his kids are about the principle of achdut, brotherhood. Jacob, unlike David, is focusing on his children's lives and not on his own. And unlike Vader or Akavia, he's trying to give them advice so that they will, in fact, make better choices than he did. And his advice might seem harsh in some moments, but it is a blessing nonetheless. All of us have these choices to make as we think about where we want to leave things for the next generation. Do we pass on our same struggles? In some cases, by default, that's what's going to happen, as there are issues left unchecked in our world for the future to clean up. Do we pass on the choice, doing our best to train the young so that they can make perhaps better decisions than us? Or do we try to find ways to break the cycles in which we find ourselves? Will we have the courage, like Jacob, to act in ways that will change the world for the better? Because what we learn from Jacob is that it must be intentional. We have a choice of how we leave things for the future. We have a choice in how we approach it, and we can, in fact, be quite intentional in doing it. My grandfather uh, is an amazing man who's, thank God, still with us, and he instituted years and years ago family meetings. Whenever we would get together as a family, he would call a meeting. I'm seeing some smirks. Do you guys have family meetings as well? Nice. That's good. Right. That he would call a family meeting with an agenda and everything. And sometimes the agendas would be, they would range from uh, questions of, you know, my uncle lost a job and how can we all support him? Or I just got back from Poland and I think there's such a thing as a Polish soul. Whatever it was, we had, do you remember that one? Yeah, that was, that was really fun. Uh, and at the time, being a child growing up, I remember just wanting it to end so I could go play with my cousins. Why are we sitting in this circle having a meeting? 
But I realized that he was doing precisely what Jacob does in this Parsha. My grandfather was calling everyone together and asking, literally, this was one of the agenda topics, what is my legacy? And he made all of the grandchildren answer what his and his wife, my grandmother's, what our legacy, their legacy was going to be to us. And we had to think about it, and we didn't have great answers, I remember, on this one, and we had to write it down and send him a letter later. But he was being intentional. He wanted to know what he was leaving behind, and he wanted to be able to help guide us in that way, as he did and still does. My grandfather calls me every Monday, and we have a talk, and it usually is about his legacy. <laughs> but the point is we can all do this. Jacob sits his children down, and he says, did you understand everything I've been trying to teach you? And they respond, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Yes, Israel, Jacob, we hear you. We heard you. God is one. God is here. That check for understanding is okay. It's important. We can turn to other people, whether we're related to them or not, whether there are students, there are children, there are friends, there are people in this community, and say, what have you learned from the generation that you're going to take? What have we left for you? And hopefully they will respond, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, we've heard you. We know what this legacy is and we know how to move forward with it because the decision is ultimately up to us. What are we going to pass on? Is it our power, our weakness, our choices, or a compass to make better choices than those that we made? Shabbat Shalom.